You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. conquer worry and experience this secure mind that we have in Christ Jesus, I believe that this is the secure mind that Paul had on the way to Caesarea. But we must meet the conditions of the Lord that he has laid out for us. We must pray. We must present our supplications before the Lord with thanksgiving. Those are the antidote here. We must be thankful and confident that knowing that God hears our prayers and will answer us according to his will and to his purpose. This should give us security. The Bible tells us not to worry, but often it's not that simple. However, as Pastor Dave shares today, there are stipulations to overcoming worry. You must pray to the Lord, giving thanks for what you have. With confidence, have faith that the Lord hears your prayers and will answer them according to His plans. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 23. As he begins his message, the fourth journey begins in peace. Acts 23 is where our main scriptures will be. We'll also be in 2 Corinthians 4. So if you can put a note there for 2 Corinthians 4. We'll also be in Philippians 4. Put a tag there. And it will be in 2 Corinthians 10, but you don't have to turn there. And Daniel 6. So... um, you might be doing some hopping today, but I'm not sure. We're not really sure. So uh, we're going to be in Acts 23 to begin with. Acts 23, we're going to look at the end of the chapter, verses 25 through 35. So if you've found that place in your sword, you have it marked, and you are there now, won't you read along silently as I read aloud, please? He wrote a letter in the following manner. Claudius Lysus. To the most excellent governor, Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason why they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving death or chains. And when it was told to me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him to, uh, to, by night to Antipatris. The next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and return to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what providence he was from. And when he understood that he was from Caesarea, he said, I will hear you when your accusers have also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. The abundant life that Jesus speaks about in John 10.10 has been compared to the land of promise that God was giving the nation of Israel. It's been compared in many, many different ways. The abundant life, the promised land that the Israels were seeking. 
In Deuteronomy 11, verse 11, the Lord is speaking to Moses and he says this, the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys. So, if the Christian life is compared to the promised land of the nation Israel, then we can assume that our new life in Christ, the Christian life, we will be a life filled with hills and valleys, including highs, lows, successes, failures, times of great joy, and times of sadness. Warren Wiersbe, one of my most favorite commentators, says this, quote, In one day, the disciple of Christ can move from the attacks of hell to the glory of heaven and back again. Have you ever experienced this in your life? You know, when I was reading this, the first thing I thought of was a hurricane. First thing I thought of was a hurricane. You know, when I look at my life, sometimes my Christian life reminds me of a hurricane. Not the disorder or the craziness of that, but when I look at my life, you know, things are going along good. And you know trouble's around the corner. You know it's lurking somewhere, and you hear about it, but you kind of ignore it. You kind of let it pass. Oh, it'll go. It'll go by. Just like we hear the weather reports. There's a storm brewing in the Atlantic. Oh, yeah, well, that's far off. Well, as it gets closer and closer, it looks like we might get hit. And as this trial or trouble gets closer and closer, you think, well, this might actually affect me in some way, you know? And then pretty soon the clouds come rolling in, the wind picks up, and you think, hmm, this might be more serious than I'm, than I'm thinking about. Then all of a sudden the ocean gets rough, the waves start to crash against the shore, and all of a sudden the hurricane gets closer and closer, the stronger and stronger the winds get, and the rain starts. It starts slowly at first, and all of a sudden it becomes a downpour, and you're in the midst of it. And the wind's howling and blowing, and things are being loosed from their moorings, and all kinds of crazy things are happening, and you're praying, Lord, make it stop. Lord, make it stop. Might sound like your life. I know it sounds like my life sometimes. Lord, make it stop. But then all of a sudden, it stops. It's gone. Sun shines. Wind stops. There's no more rain. And you're thinking, ah, a lull. Ah, there's peace. Ah, there's great. Ah, I'm feeling so good. Thank you, Lord. And the radio says, don't be alarmed. You're only in the eye of the storm. There's another part to go. Excuse me? And just when you've reached that pinnacle of peace, it starts all over again. And the other side of the storm comes raging through. I experience that a lot in my life. I think the Christian life is like that. But in the law, I had peace. There was no wind, no rain. All was calm, and I had peace in my life. But sometimes, during the lull, there's an anxiety within you because you don't know what's coming next. There's an anxiety that wells up in you, and, and you're not really sure what's happening. And this is what causes anxiety, because anxiety is nothing more than a fear of the future. What's going to happen next? I believe that's what we see in our text today. You'll bear with me as I had to work this out, because when I sat before the text and looked at it, I went, okay, Lord, there's not a lot here. I mean, we have a letter, and we have some narrative. Well, what's going on here? Well, I believe we can see this happen, some things happening here today. The Apostle Paul is not in the calm before the storm. I believe the Apostle Paul is in the eye of the hurricane. I believe he's in the eye of the hurricane. He's between two storms one that he just got out of, and one that he's riding headlong into. In our scriptures today, we see the Apostle Paul being escorted out of Jerusalem in the middle of the night by a troop of 470 soldiers led by the commander. This must have been quite calm and tranquil compared to what had happened the last several days. I mean, 
Since Paul arrived in Jerusalem, there had been riot after riot, accusation after accusation. He was screamed at by the high priest. He reviled against the high priest, which caused him to be slapped in the face. Both parties wanted to pull him apart. Both parties wanted to to take care of him. He was threatened with scourging and death by not only the Jews, but the Romans as well. His time in Jerusalem had nothing nothing more than horrendous. Like a wild hurricane had just passed through. He probably was wondering what's going on. Wonder if Paul was thinking, what's going to happen next? But there was a lull. In the midst of all this craziness that was happening, Jesus Christ appears to him in his cell. He had calmed Paul's heart and encouraged him to be of good cheer and to take courage. This restored Paul's strength, and it gave him power. He knew that he was in the Lord's will, and it refreshed him. Jesus commended Paul on his witness in Jerusalem, commended him after Paul thought he was nothing more than a failure. And Jesus told him, you're going to go to Rome, Paul. You're going to go to Rome, and you're going to testify there of me. This must have made Paul's heart sore. We studied as the providential hand of God intervened on Paul's behalf last week, and he thwarted an assassination attempt. So now, surrounded by Roman soldiers on his way to Caesarea, Paul's journey to Jerusalem came to an end, an end that was probably somewhat suspicious, but what begins is the long, arduous journey to Rome. So Paul goes forth on his fourth journey. Some believe that it was a fourth missionary journey. Some believe that this was indeed his fourth journey. Now, we read of three strong missionary journeys in the Bible. But here, we know Paul is leaving. And we know if you've read the Word, you know that he's going to go through a lot of things and go to a lot of different places. So this really could be his fourth missionary journey, although it doesn't really say that. But I believe Paul was at peace. I believe Paul was at peace with this. And we ended last week's verses when we saw Paul being mounted on a horse and sent with his escort to the new governor, Felix. The commander had a letter. Let's look at verses 25 through 30 in Acts. He wrote a letter the following manner, Claudius Lysus, to the most excellent governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but I had nothing charged against him deserving death of chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for him, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. The man who was going to review Paul's case, the man who was going to make a determination between Paul's guilt and innocence was known as Antonius Felix. We know a little bit about Antonius Felix. He was an ex-slave. Antonius Felix was an ex-slave. In fact, he was the first ever ex-slave to rise in power in the Roman Empire. The Roman historian Tacticus wrote this about Felix, that he exercised the power of a king in the spirit of a slave. But he also wrote that he was a vulgar ruffian. Interesting, he had some connections. He married a woman named Drusilla. She was the great-granddaughter of Anthony and Cleopatra. So Felix was the great-grandson of the great Anthony of Rome. So he had some connections. But we learned several things in the letter that we just read. We now know the commander's name. Before, it was just called Commander. Now he has a name. His name is Claudius Lysus. And we know that he places Rome in a good light to Felix because he embellishes upon what happened. He embellishes upon what happened. He says, when I saw what was happening, I came to rescue him because we knew he was a Roman. 
Well, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says they didn't know he was a Roman until after they were wanting to scourge him, and Paul told them he was a Roman. So he embellished a little bit. Not quite what happened. We do know that the main accusation against Paul was a matter of Jewish law, which is true. And we finally see Claudius's opinion that Paul had nothing to been charged with that deserved death. So we see a lot about this letter. But in the final verses of the chapter, Paul and the letter are delivered to Felix in Caesarea. And Paul is detained until his accusers arrive. Look at verses 31 through 35. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. Now this is halfway between Jerusalem and Caesarea. The next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and returned to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the Roman governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what providence he was from. And when he understood that he was from Caesarea, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. So once again, we see Paul being treated like a guest instead of a prisoner, being treated with royalty. He gets to stay in Herod's house. It's a common place. It was a place of comfort rather than a cell or dungeon. We're in a law. We're, we're in a law in the scriptures. They're, they're, we're in a law. And we're in a time when there's not a ton of things happening. It, it, it's a lulling place, but you know better than I'm not going to leave you here. You know me better than I'm not going to leave you in this lull. I'm not going to leave you in this state. And as I was studying and praying, a question came to my mind, a question that this is where we're going to go. As I said, Paul was on his way to Caesarea to be questioned by Felix, the great notorious governor. They stopped at Antipatris. Antipatris is about 37 miles from Jerusalem, almost halfway between the two, about a day's ride, a long day's ride, according to Luke and his narrative. But you read Luke's narrative, it's very uneventful. There's nothing happening there. So me, what I do is I start to try to get into Paul's head. What was he thinking? What was going on in Paul's mind? Was he mulling over the last couple days? Was he thinking about Jesus' words? Was he thinking about what lie ahead in Caesarea before Felix? Maybe he thought they would go straight to Rome, but here they're being delayed a little bit. Was he afraid that he was being followed by the Jews? Because after all, they followed him everywhere he went. We read in the book of Acts. What would Felix do? What would he be charged with? How would he be found? Guilty or innocent? I imagine Paul, all these things, because all he was doing was sitting on a horse, cloppity-clop, for 37 miles. You think Paul had any anxiety about this? Think Paul had any anxiety about what was going to happen? If I were in Paul's place, I'd be plenty anxious. If I was in Paul's place, I'd be fidgety thinking, I'd be scratching my head, I'd be wondering what's going on, and I'd be going through the old what-ifs. What if this, what if that, what if this, what if that, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and I'd start to get myself all worked up. Why? Well, like I said, anxiety is a fear of the unknown, a fear of the future. It's a fear of the uncertain. To be anxious is to be filled with worry about what the future might hold or what may happen. So what is worry? Worry means to make trouble in your mind. Worry means to make trouble in your mind. And it's really interesting here that the Greek word translated anxious and careful in some, uh, some translations actually means being pulled apart in different directions. Well, our hopes are being pulled in one direction. Our fears pull us in the opposite direction. And we feel like we're actually being torn apart. I don't know about you, but if you've ever experienced anxiety, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Another interesting fact about the word anxiety 
It comes from the root word, which is where we get the word worry, which means strangle. If you've ever really been worried, if you've ever really been filled with anxiety, you know how it does strangle to the point where you can't even breathe. You're worried. In fact, anxiety and worry has definite physical consequences. It can lead to headaches, neck pains, ulcer, back pains. It can lead to bad digestion and even bad coordination. But from a spiritual point of view, worry is wrong thinking in your mind. And worry is wrong feeling in your heart. How you feel about your circumstances, how you feel about people, how you feel about things. Worry happens to me when I'm in a lull. Worry happens to me when I'm in a lull, especially in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night, I'll wake up. And then as I'm trying to get back to sleep, my brain starts to go about 9,000 miles an hour. And the what-ifs come in. And all these problems come in. I'm like, and you're like, wait a minute. It's a great time to cry out to the Lord. It's a great time to cry out, Lord, you've you got to help me through this. I don't want to be anxious. I know when I'm not, I'm not supposed to be anxious. The what-ifs, oh my gosh. But I don't believe Paul was anxious. I don't believe Paul was anxious a bit because he knew what Jesus had told him. He was confident in that. He was thinking about that. He had peace. Paul trusted in Christ to see him through what was going on him. If you've saved that 2 Corinthians spot, 2 Corinthians 4, why don't you turn there for a minute? In 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 7 through 15, Paul describes what sounds like to be a hurricane. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus and the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to it is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Wow. Paul knew what it meant to be perplexed. He knew what it meant to be hard-pressed. He knew what it meant to be forsaken, to be persecuted. But none of these things moved him. None of these things caused him any worry. He was not anxious. Paul did not have anxiety because he trusted fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knew that whatever happened was the Lord's will and everything was going to happen according to his purpose. I believe that's how come he could write in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. You know the scripture. You have it glued to your refrigerator somewhere. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. What a wonderful verse. And we go around and we say that verse over and over again, and we tell somebody, oh, be anxious for nothing. But do you live that verse? And I have to stand before you and say, there are times when I do and there are times when I don't. And unfortunately, sometimes it seems like the times that I don't live that verse are more than the times that I do. And I have to be honest with you. But what was Paul saying to the Philippians here? He is saying that worry, anxiety, is the greatest thief of our joy. It's the greatest thief of our joy and it steals us because Paul had spent the entire letter 
to the Philippian church describing what is joy because Philippians is called the epistle of joy. And he's describing this joy that we have in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. This beautiful thing. And we went through Philippians. Paul was telling them, rejoice in the Lord. But it's just not enough for us, however, to tell ourselves, quit worrying. I don't care how many times you listen to Bobby Farron, don't worry. Be happy. It don't work. You can tell yourself that millions of times. Don't worry. Be happy. Oh, yeah, don't worry. Be happy. It just doesn't seem to work. It doesn't seem to work because we need to capture it like the thief. Worry's an inside job. Worry's something that's happening on the inside, and it takes more than good intentions to get the victory. And we all have great intentions. Don't worry. Be happy. What? Me worry? I read mad. I had to throw that in. If we're to conquer worry and experience this secure mind that we have in Christ Jesus... I believe that this is the secure mind that Paul had on the way to Caesarea. But we must meet the conditions of the Lord that he has laid out for us. We must pray. We must present our supplications before the Lord with thanksgiving. Those are the the antidote here. We must be thankful and confident, knowing that God hears our prayers and will answer us according to his will and to his purpose. This should give us security. I believe Paul had this security on his way to Caesarea, on that long, lonesome ride. I believe he had this security. We should have this secure mind, and this secure mind that we have in Jesus Christ is the antidote for worry. It's the antidote for anxiousness. Be anxious for nothing. Sometimes in my life, I'm anxious for everything. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm anxious about it. He says, be anxious for nothing, but let your requests be known to God and his peace The peace of God, it surpasses all understanding. Look what it's going to do for you. It's going to guard your heart, and it's going to guard your mind. It's going to guard wrong thinking and wrong feeling. It's going to guard that. I liken God's peace to this. It's a soldier standing guard and protecting your heart and your mind. God's peace is a soldier standing, protecting your heart and your mind. What is it protecting you from? It's protecting it from anxiety and worry. You know, here Paul was surrounded by soldiers, 470 of them on the way to uh, Antipatris. But Paul was confident because he knew and he was infused with the soldier of God, Jesus Christ. Paul had the one who mattered, not the 470. He had the one that mattered. See, having the peace of God involves both the heart and the mind, like I said. Look what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. You, talking to the Lord, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. Trust in the Lord. I don't have the peace when I'm involved in wrong thinking, and that's what happens to me. It happens to me in the middle of the night. I get involved in wrong thinking. I start thinking about the wrong thing, the what-ifs. Wrong thinkings lead to wrong feeling. And before long, my heart and my mind are pulled apart, and I'm strangled with worry. I'm strangled with worry. We must realize that our thoughts are real and powerful. Even though they can't be seen, weighed, or measured, our thoughts are powerful. You are when Jesus left earth following his resurrection, his followers weren't sure what was next. 
They had instructions from their Lord and Savior, but not much else. However, they chose to trust that what Jesus said was true and was going to change their lives. It did. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to minister to the world in ways they'd never have been able to do on their own. Is Jesus asking you to follow His instructions today? Maybe He's only given you a piece of the journey, or maybe He's asking you to wait. Take a cue today from the members of the early church. Trust Jesus to come through with His promises and change your life. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope. We'd like to hear from you and learn how we can be praying for you. So please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to hear more messages from this series in the book of Acts, you'll find them at assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download. And we encourage you to share them with your friends and family. You can also receive a CD copy of today's message by calling us. Again, our number is 609-884-5821. That's all we have time for today. We're so glad we can share God's Word with you through this ministry. Pastor Dave will have more to share from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Acts. So we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.